1: and welcome to history and technicolor. Uh, I am here with oh ah uh, the name is Wolf. <laughs> I remember yes. James okay. Wolf. James Wolf. Uh Not said so we're here today. We are gathered together here today to do a film and it's your film this week. So what are we doing? As though I did not know. The Battle of Algiers. The battle of, oh darn. Okay, so <laughs> the
2: Battle of Algiers, right. The film that I'm presenting is obviously The Battle of Algiers. Um, It was released in 1966 and it was made by Gillo Pontecorvo, an Italian director, and it depicts the French suppression of the Algerian uprising and how the National Liberation Front, also known as the FLN, operated from 1954 up until 1957, which led to Algeria gaining independence in
1: 62. Very good. Yeah, I'm with you. Why have I selected this, you ask? Why have you selected this, Wolf? Um, when we started this podcast... Oh, by the way, William mentioned that you yes. know we should get used to the fact that how long the film we're about to watch is. Did this film surprise you at how long it was? Uh, it's, uh, it's just, I thought it was just about two hours. Yeah, that's right. No, I was being funny. Oh, I because see. Every yeah. time we've been done this programme, we said, oh, it's so long. Oh, it's really long. But this time, it wasn't too long, was it? No, it was a perfectly pleasant perfectly length. Perfectly pleasant length. It was
2: actually Excellent. perfect. Okay.
1: Um,
2: Sorry. Being so being trivial. Can I just apologise for being trivial? And carry on. Apology accepted. When we started this podcast, uh-huh. way back at the beginning, uh, I remember you sent me an article about oh, yeah. the most historically accurate films that have oh, sort of yes. ever been made. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember that. And this film was either joint first or second oh, on that it? list right? for the most accurate it could possibly be. Right, what was the other one? I, I sadly can't remember. Come on. Um, could be Das Boo, I don't know. Oh,
1: we'll um, go do that. Sorry, carry on.
2: So, I basically kept seeing this come up time and time again as a Kind of premium example of historical accuracy in films. Um, additionally, I know that it is generally regarded as a masterpiece, and it won the Golden Lion in Venice, uh, while narrowly missing out on the Oscar for Best Foreign Film. It's been deeply influential on a global scale, and famously was screened by the Pentagon in 2003 to help the US military and government uh, understand the Iraq war and the conflict that was going on there with the insurgency. Uh, It helped them to study the tactics and actions that helped the French win the battle so that they could use that themselves. It's a truly remarkable film and is just as relevant now as it was 50 years ago and I think it's going to continue to be incredibly relevant for a long time. Mm. So that's why I wanted to put Um, it out there. It actually surprised me how modern I felt the film was considering that it's made
1: in 66. Cool. Excellent. Tell us all about it. Actually, you've done that already. Harry, tell us well, all about I'm, it again.
2: I'm going to go into the historical background. Yes, great. Because I feel like that's a good way to go with this one. Yeah. Um, so there's quite a lot of information, and let's get going. After World War II, a wide-ranging and fairly rapid process of decolonization starts to take place across Europe. Uh, during the early part of this, up until 1954, France is fighting in Indochina against the Viet Minh forces and is having little success. Uh, They suffer a huge defeat at the Battle of Dien Bien Phu, and they lose their territory. Um, Back in French Algeria, the National Liberation Front forms and begins to fight against uh, colonization with the aim of creating an independent Algerian state with self-government. They launch a series of bombing attacks against the French and begin forcibly absorbing or dissolving rival political parties. After a year or so, their focus, uh, they focused their attention on Algiers, the capital, and the Battle of Algiers begins. Uh, and Algeria was a, a, a crucially important colony for France. It was kind of the last one I think they held on to, one of the big ones, and they really didn't want to give it up.
1: So there's war going on outside Algeria- Algiers, by the way, is there? Yes, it's actually taking
2: place across the whole oh, okay. of Algeria. I actually think it starts in the east, and they have some leaders who are linked with Cairo. And later on, years in the future, when they flee, they flee to Tunisia. Right. Um, but as they kind of move across the country, they they soon realise that that Algiers needs to be like focus yeah. point. If they want the UN to pay attention to yeah. them and to listen to demands, then they really need to put on a big show. And Algiers can and kind of focuses all of that down. Um, it's also just worth noting that the people who were predominantly Muslim. Uh, they basically did not want to continue living under what was an internal system of apartheid that existed in the country. The film okay, is made in a documentary style uh, featuring black and white footage and is very consciously filmed in this way in order to create fictional realism. Uh, the film opens by introducing Ali LaPointe, a petty thief who becomes hardened and possibly even radicalised by the executions he witnesses while in prison. Uh, he joins up with the FLN uh, and it's there that we meet Yaffa and some of the other leaders and we learn about their plans while the French government calls in paratroopers, led by Colonel uh, Mathieu, to crush the rebellion, okay? The truly fascinating aspect of this film is the almost unbelievable level of kind of connections and reality that are infused into this, with everyone making the film having actually lived through the historical events or carried them out themselves, Uh, The film is based loosely on the book written by the FLN leader, uh, Saudi Yasef, who incidentally was the principal advisor on the shoot, as well as the actor who played Yaffa. Um, He wrote the book while he was in prison, and after de Gaulle pardoned him, he returned home, uh, and he became, I think, a senator in the Algerian government. Mm. And I still think he might serve today, uh, or did for a very long time. Nobody wanted to touch the film uh, until it made its way to Italy and Gillo Pontecorvo got involved, who had himself been an anti-fascist partisan commanding in the Milan res- resistance in 1943. Oh, right. He was heavily influenced by the neorealism films of the 50s, particularly the work of Rossellini, and he was following in their school of thought when he tackled this story.
1: So what is neo- neorealism? So essentially the, the
2: basic rules of neorealism, it comes out of... As soon as the Second World War ends, this kind of period of filmmaking takes place, which is essentially dealing with the ramifications of the war. It's characterised traditionally by stories that are set amongst the poor and the working classes. It usually features all non-actors, except for potentially one established actor who plays maybe one significant role. It's always filmed on location, so it's not set. So a lot of them are filmed in and around Italian cities like Rome after they've been decimated by right. the war and they're just you're in the streets mm. dealing with uh, so it's like bicycle thieves as an example where a young boy has uh, had his bike stolen uh, and he has to kind of travel around the the city trying to find it right and it's kind of gives you this exploration of like kind of what's happening right. uh, and they basically just generally dealt with difficult economic and moral conditions of post-war Italy and it was just kind of they made there's a section of films that fit into that time period. And they were really influential, and this kind of carries on. And as you can tell, a lot of those points are ticked off by this film. Okay, if you were to do that. Um, additionally, just because it's interesting, the actor Jean Martin, who played General Mathieu, had been a French resistance fighter in real life, oh, yeah. and he also fought in the Indochina War, which adds this another additional level of kind of autobiographical detail to his character. Uh, they collected a variety of first-hand accounts and filmed totally on location with all non-actors who lived through the battle, and the film was released only four years after Algeria had gained independence.
1: So that's interesting. So it's kind of contemporary. Is it a history movie, is the question? I, I think it's fascinating. I've thought a lot about this,
2: and I was worried that you would uh, challenge me on it. Oh, did I? And reject the...
1: <laughs> I wouldn't have been the- so intelligent if we hadn't had supper last night.
2: Ah, it was a lovely supper. <laughs> Thank you. I'm undecided on my opinion about okay. this. I think that it is a historical movie, but I think we just have to recognise that it's almost a documentary, mm. both because of the approach that they've taken. It is
1: a conscious decision. They could have fictionalised it way more, even just two years afterwards. Yeah, so the the point is that because it is so nearly contemporary, that it's almost like a primary source rather than a secondary source.
2: Well, essentially, optimize...
1: so when they're filming it, think... in
2: addition to actually everybody involved having lived it, because they've got um, Saudi Asaf and a lot of these other people watching and helping with the shoot, when they're moving down a street, if they did something that didn't happen, he's like, no, it didn't happen like that. Right. And obviously there is, going to be, there is some fictional license in this. It does take a little bit of that. But generally, it's happening in mostly the right locations, mm. uh, in mostly the right order of events, with the real people who were there. Um, it's incredibly accurate.
1: It's got to be said that the director apparently did cover the, the sky with a white sheet, so that the light was different. But apart from that, you know, minor piece of uh, um, uh, inaccuracy, yeah. And we will Definitely come fine. to. There is a few things that I'll mention later when we right.
2: we'll delve into that. But I just think it's interesting that some we do what, especially with the the Iraq War at the moment. Sometimes yeah. we watch films now, and it feels like there's still quite a heavy amount of um, fictionalisation occurring mm-hmm. and adjusting for modern audiences. So I would probably say that. The film stands out as deliberately trying to be really accurate. Mm. Um, it could have been more fictional, so the time difference maybe doesn't have that big an impact. But it's just worth considering yeah. and kind of weighing up how we feel about that. Considering yeah. that some films that we've addressed in this show take place eight hundred years after yeah. the events, and there's very little records of what yeah. happened.
1: But also, it's quite interesting that when you see, you know, it is in my view impossible to be objective about history. You know, historians, professional historians, try, and they swear they are. They're not. Whereas this hasn't got that length of time to be reinterpreted in a way. So what you're seeing, if there is any interpretation, what you're seeing is the interpretation pretty much of the time. And it was interesting seeing uh, Sadi Yasef's interview on the uh, rather expensive DVD I bought, which was quite chilling in the coldness of his approach to the events. Yes, He was utterly flat. About it, there was nothing about oh, it's terrible. We killed all those people. It was none of that. Or terrible that we were being oppressed by these, you know, horrible people. There was none of, none of that. It was just this is this is what happened. These are the events. Very cold. Very straightforward.
2: Yeah, and it, it was uh, challenging to yeah. kind of process that. Yeah. Um, I do think the coldness that you're referring to it, is quite helpful, though, in the general style of yeah, the documentary making. Good, yeah, absolutely. Um, we wouldn't really
1: question a documentary if it happened.
2: Yeah, I'm not, as, um, as, I'm not questioning
1: it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What I'm saying is that if we were looking at a historical interpretation now of a past event, I don't know, 400 years ago, uh. um, there would probably be some emotion in it.
2: Yes. You know, unless
1: you were literally watching a documentary on the telly, there would be some. So, for example, if you were looking at the Reformation, there would be a spin on it. There might be England's national story or it might be Catholic revisionism. Do you know what I mean? there would be an angle. Whereas in this, it was really difficult to see that angle. Which so, is shocking, because you, Im- you immediately assumed is about decolonisation. OK, they're going to murder the French, the, I, and yet they do not. I,
2: really. I do think, though, that they're, they're, a there's a slight angle in this. Yeah. or there, there used to be a slight angle, and it, it was removed. Hmm. There's a very conscious decision by the filmmakers. And we'll probably come back to this a bit later, but as you probably saw, the film was going to star Paul Newman. Oh, yes, that's yes, right. It was yeah, going he, to
1: star Paul Newman... Now, I thought it was a different film that was going to star Paul Newman. Oh, it could have been. I think it was a different film. Gilles Pontecorvo said, I don't want to make this film, uh, Sadi, because he went to see him. I don't want to make this film because I've been making another film and it's got Paul Newman in it and he makes really nice sauces. We didn't say the sauces, mate. Um, he does make good sauces. But uh, Sadi said, look, we've got this brilliant film and talked him into it. See, I was convinced
2: that Paul Newman was originally considered for the role and they adjusted it. But I'll have to check about this. Anyway, the point being is the early draft of the script by Saudi Yasser was significantly more Mm. pro-Algerian than the final script. Gotcha. Okay, David, I'm really
1: interested. What did you think about the film? Never for a moment did I feel bored. I wasn't quite sure how to place it because of my confusion about thinking, preconceptions, this is about decolonisation, as I said. So the French are going to get murdered, and they didn't. I kept on waiting for it, so it's a bit confusing. I it was compelling all the way through. Um, at the beginning, it didn't feel like a documentary, and I was expecting it to because I'd done a bit of reading beforehand. And then it, but it absolutely became very, very documentary style, and it was fascinating. I mean, the content was fascinating of itself. So I really enjoyed it. I would say that it's not a movie I'll get emotional about. You know, I wouldn't grab somebody in the, in the street like it would about Das Boot and say, why haven't you washed Das Boot? Why? You know, I wouldn't do that. But very interesting, intellectually, and fascinating for what it told me about the history.
2: And it's very different from anything that we've done so far in this yeah. series.
1: Well, maybe the closest is the longest, not the longest, they wouldn't do it, the longest. day. bridge too bridge, far. Bridge too broad.
2: Which I will mention, because I do think it's a good mm. comparative piece. Um, I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. Right. I couldn't believe how good it was. Like, I thought it was going to be good. Yeah. But I thought it was uh, it was, it was beyond belief. And I've been so interested in it ever since I watched it that I've talked about it every day now for a week, a week and a half. Right? <laughs> I, I had a three-hour phone conversation with my friend about this <laughs> before this, just talking about it. And I still haven't wrapped all of my, like, thoughts up into a nice little bar. Like, it's still right. fascinating. and And I probably could do with watching it again. Um, a few things that jumped out at me that I thought were really interesting, especially because we've talked about the kind of documentary style, I think the structure of the film, um, obviously leads it to that, the, the kind of the time stamps and date stamps coming up mm. and then just jumping sometimes months, days, hours that helps kind of prevent you from like connecting with too many of the characters and kind of just shows you like, this is what happened
1: next. Yeah. This is what happened. That was next. very interesting. It- the only character, I think, in a way, you got emotionally involved in, or they made any effort to get you emotionally involved in, was Ali LaPointe. Yes. He's the only guy you see any sort of backstory about. You know, he was, came from here and he became that, and he was, at the end he was the last guy. So if you still have got Ali LaPointe... Uh, well, yes, we have, actually, you know. Um, it was interesting. he seemed to me the only character that became a character.
2: OK, that's interesting, because I was going to ask you if you thought there were any fully sort of defined characters in the film. So... Part of the reason I think Ali Lapointe is maybe bought out more is he kind of makes sense narratively. If he's the last one... Mm. Um,
1: it starts and ends with him, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, if
2: he's the last one, then it's a good place to try and begin with him as well. And his story of getting taken to prison for kind of a, a small offence and then being radicalised, for want of a better word, Yeah. Says, from everything, from all the uh, oppression that he witnesses and then joining up with the resistance and then rising up to the ranks. That's, that's a kind yeah. of
1: great story within that yeah. to follow. But when you see him running through the street and being tripped up, that feels like that's what I meant by at the beginning. I didn't think, think, oh, this isn't a documentary, because that didn't look very documentary. And then that changes. That is the only guy that happens. And I do
2: think, so it is interesting. We'll we'll reference it as a documentary, but the phrase that I use, like sort of fictional realism, or docudrama is maybe a better Mm. phrase, because it clearly isn't a documentary, but it just happens to be so accurate that... It almost is. Mm. I believe that when it got released in America, they actually had to put... They put up um, a title card at the beginning that was like right. that no original newsreel footage is used in this film, right. even if you think it is. Right. Interesting. Um, Do not adjust your sets. Right. Especially because all the recordings that run over the top, like the narration, mm. pretty, I don't think any of that's original, so that's all made for the film. But it sounds like it could come from news channels, broadcasts, etc. I just thought the structure was really interesting in defining that. And the, the back-and-forth exchange of violence that kind of prevents you from taking yeah. any side. Just when you become slightly Im- emotionally invested in one cause, mm. then they'll do something so horrific that y- you are naturally kind of swapped to the other side.
1: I have to tell you that Jane was quite clear about which side she was on. Yes. And it wasn't <laughs> the French. But anyway, there you go.
2: Um, a few other things to note. The score by the master, any Morricone. Ah,
1: the score.
2: Oh, Absolutely
1: phenomenal. I mean, I was a bit scared because, you know, you've always got the Spaghetti Westerns in your mind, don't you? And you think, am I thinking this music is just brilliant just because I know it's Ennio Morricone? But, oh, it's so good, isn't it? It helps direct your mood, and it's really weird music in places, which works really well, you know, that little sort of fluty type sound. Which, oh. And the, the
2: standout bit of the score for me is when uh, the three women are dressing up mm. and the battle drums are playing and they slowly get a little bit louder each time and all you're watching is them dye their hair change their clothes and you kind of have to like piece together what's going to happen but the drums let you know that this isn't just like a random bit of like everyday life yeah there's a purpose to this and that they're preparing for war we're just not watching them smear like camouflage paint on their faces um, or you know sharpen their axes they're doing it their way And uh, the use of the drums uh, is just really, really good in that scene to build that up. So uh, the cinematography and how it creates the impression of the documentary, we've talked about, is really interesting. The newsreel and radio broadcast that run over the top. And what I found interesting about them is, especially with subtitles, obviously you can tell the difference in the languages, but um, they keep chopping and changing between both sides on the broadcasts that uh, it just helps to kind of keep you distanced. You're not just listening to the inner thoughts of, let's say, one organisation. You're hearing it from both sides all the time Mm. as that kind of runs through. Uh, A few other things that jumped out to me were the guillotine shots. The guillotine shot was a shocker, yeah. It was incredible. That's very early, isn't it? The one that Alan Lequan saw. A, because I was surprised that they were still using the guillotine in 1955 or 56. So that was a shock. Um... The coldness of the scene, which yeah. is where I would compare this to Braveheart, this movie does this on the whole, you have a scene where a person's going to get executed by the guillotine and it's very matter of fact, filmed from really far away, very little emotion, like it's not emotive filmmaking yeah. consciously, uh, it's not drawn out, there's no one screaming freedom and dropping their handkerchief and seeing their long yeah. distant dead wife,
1: no, none of that. Yeah.
2: Um, it just happens, happens and we just have to deal with it,
1: but the the
2: best bit about it is, when the guillotine starts to drop, you get the sound that like swish Mm. and then the camera turns and it does the zoom in, and just as you get the like, what does the sound of like the guillotine like, crashing down and severing the man's head it does the, you've got the zoom in on Ali's eyes, Mm. and it's just a scene that's really, really interesting and enjoyable to watch, Mm. just kind of from the director's point of view, and it conveys so much in one moment, and isn't kind of like a traditional moment. Yeah. And I just really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. The old man fleeing the crowds in the empty streets, and it slowly gets louder and louder. You remember when he? Yes, says, yes, I do. Yes, yes. I thought you we were crying because he's it was so sad. A, yeah, I was trying to remember. Oh, you were trying to remember. Yes, he's,
1: because he's an alien in the wrong quarter, and the
2: sirens are getting louder because there's just been an attack. And then all the French people start coming out onto their balconies. And the street's empty, which is just fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. And he has to start running. And then the police come after him. And he's trying to get away from them, even though he hasn't done anything wrong. He's just a seller. Um, so that was fascinating. Yeah, it
1: gives you an idea of the, the fear, mistrust, feeling of terror, suspicion and that's all around. It gives you, It paints that without having to explain it in any way. The narrator never says that, but you get the message.
2: And I I really... The marriage scene stood out to me as well. The fact that they refer to marriage outside of the French government as an act of war. Mm. that They're doing all of this stuff, but at the same time, there are just people living in the city who are choosing to rebel by carrying out secret weddings according to their kind of religious beliefs and their own kind of laws. Uh, I thought that was a fascinating little Mm. moment that there is still everyday kind of interactions taking place, but they just have to be done kind of in secret and away from kind of the awareness of the the ruling country. Hmm. So uh, when we talked about uh, kind of the fully defined character, this is where I wanted to bring up A Bridge Too Far. I think it's the exact opposite of that movie in that the approach to being accurate, kind of creating a docudrama is, right. is true. But in A Bridge Too Far, you have all these huge A-list actors. Right, yes, true. And <clears throat> they're there to kind of pull you into the story uh, as much as possible and kind of signpost all these moments. This is the exact opposite. There are no actors, like no established actors of, of any type and yet we still kind of have a similar film and uh, I think it it works even better. Yeah. Like right. I really feel completely immersed in the story and actually if I was to randomly see Anthony Hopkins or or Michael Caine, uh, it would completely pull me out of this yeah. film.
1: It's true. and it. But it also, it's better because it's... Shorter. I mean, I hate you yes, about yes. the length. You know, they managed to remove the complexity, and I'm sure there's a lot more complexity in the Battle for Algiers than they have in that film. Yeah. they managed to select better. Where in A Bridge Too Far, they can't help being ultra nerds. Yeah, I but agree. yes, I agree. The the lack of uh, recognised actors helps the realism enormously, doesn't it?
2: Because I know that a lot of people, crit- a lot of people who commented uh, right. criticised Bridge Too Far for the fact that. They felt like um, all the actors just kind of detracted from the movie. It was a little bit too much. It was overwhelming, and you didn't really connect with any of them. And they were each just playing themselves, kind of thing. Uh, in this, you feel like you're seeing real people, mm. and there's no. You don't really feel like you're not watching something that's yeah. true. You aren't pulled out by the oh, it's, it's Brad Pitt. Oh, it's so and so. You're you're really just in there with mm. them, and you're going through this at the same time that they are. Um and even though um I think it's Jean Martin is the only one who's an actually established actor he came from the theater right. so actually even when the film came out he wouldn't have been well recognized
1: if at all right and being from the theater he's bound to be far better anyway so, so
2: his acting is incredible he's really
1: a joke. really good just, just a joke. I didn't mean you know didn't mean um I just moved on because yeah, well done yeah
2: not not worth engaging um <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Great, yeah, absolutely, he was brilliant.
2: And uh, we, another thing that we've talked about as well is the the viewpoint of the film, which you've obviously mentioned, and it's worth pointing out that Ponte wanted to make a politically neutral film. Right. So where each side is
1: represented equally. I'm interested he wanted to do that. Why did he want to do that? I mean, if he's, you know, an ex-fighter, a fascist, you know, he's all into the politics of it all. Why did he want to make it so neutral?
2: Well... I'm gonna say I don't know
1: the answer. Yeah.
2: Um. I I would just say that um, in terms of kind of retelling the events and kind of presenting them to people, trying to not be biased and present it
1: relatively factually is really quite impressive. Like it is. Not many people do that. Yeah. It is. On the other hand, it might be just also very clever, i.e., by presenting something which, you know, is a manifest and by the fifties and sixties beginning to become. Recognizes as a manifest injustice by presenting it flat, isn't it also, in a way, much more powerful? I don't know. It that's... could be. I, I think it's really powerful. I think it
2: feels like it's trying to present it really coldly and factually, but it's hard to not feel the emotional pull of yeah. almost every single. I mean,
1: in a sense, the message you get from it is, is, is it, that, or the thing that I took away was, uh, sorry, in the, the question of what is the film about... It seemed to me to be as much about the moral compromises that war forces on us yes. as it is about decolonisation or injustice.
2: It definitely feels in the film that everybody kind of has one hand tied behind their back. Mm. That they, in order to get independence, they have to do things they don't want to do. Yeah. And in order to hold on to what they believe is a part of their kind of culture and country and identity, they have to do things they don't want to do.
1: But actually, I think it's worse than that. Because I don't think you get in the film much impression of people doing things they don't want to do. I see. Actually what you get is people doing inhuman things and not questioning that. So this is, so this is really this is really interesting.
2: The a uh, hugely important scene in the film is the bit with the journalists. So they're having the press conference and the journalists are like, You murdered Ben Mahidi, who was the leader of the F.L.M. after they captured him. You told us all this information and now he's been found mysteriously dead in his cell. You've killed him. Um, and they also are like, why are you torturing people? And they kind of grow in confidence and they kind of outright ask him, like, why do you think this is acceptable to torture these people? And then he responds with all that information where he's like, do you want... Algeria? Like do yes. you want that to be part of your country? If you do, this is what has to be done. Mm. You don't ask questions. If you don't, if you want to leave, we can just leave. Yeah. And they're all silent. Like they all know that they don't want to yes, act. Like they have all these ideas about what they think is unacceptable. But when it comes down to it they're like yes. um okay, I yes. guess. They just their silence says a lot. Yeah. And that's considering that that's the press kind of fighting yeah. against it so I think that's really interesting a side note in real life Jean Martin the actor voted for Algeria to get independence oh right okay when they did like right.
1: they did like a referendum or something um so yes that's one thing but also from the Algerian side you don't see does that scene in the cafe the the really powerful one where uh the women go and plastic plant the bombs, and you, they show very consciously, they show all these people living ordinary life, they show children, licking an ice cream, and you think those people planting the bombs are going to be affected that, by that. None of them are. All of them, the impression you get is all of them are worried about, will they hide the bomb okay? Will anybody see it? Can they get out correctly? You don't see them agonising about the people they're just about to blow up. So I come back to that point, that it's about the inhumanity, that th- these people become Cold about what they're doing. It's not about them being forced to make choices and agonising it. It's about them accepting that this is the way the world is. Yeah, I do. I do think it's losing that moral sense of it. I don't know.
2: I wonder sometimes if partly the 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 type of approach to making the film means that um, you have to reduce some of the complexities about that in order to kind of keep moving through Mm, and keep it at the pace that it's going. Um, I know that an early draft of the script, the one that Saturday did, wrote, they uh, it had no dialogue at all. It was just action. This is what happened. So you kind of get this impression maybe that there's a slight reluctance to talk about the things that are happening, yeah. and they're just going to try and show you
1: it. Wouldn't it killed you to have one 15-second, 30-second segment where somebody agonises? It's got to be conscious, isn't it?
2: I guess it just... It feels kind of, I don't know, to me it feels a little bit more complex than that or Mm. so vital in its approach that it's just a really interesting study of of people
1: and war Mm. and kind of how uh, a liberation would, would occur. absolutely. But I would argue that in presenting it in that way, the part of that story is people accepting a new reality. Maybe the greater question is
2: that, and this is the shocking thing, that, if they, in order to get freedom, they just have to carry out
1: the worst... They have to do what they have to do, as John
2: Martin said. Do you genuinely, at the end of the movie, feel that it is a politically
1: neutral film? Or do you feel that you side on one of the two? I think the filmmaker, as I said earlier, is confident that the message he's going to show <coughs> will be self-evident where the injustice, the ultimate injustice lies, and therefore it will <laughs> have the effect he intends. Pontecorvo said he thinks
2: the film is about man struggling against the hardship of the human condition. Right. So, I'll put that out there.
1: Interesting. Um, well, he ought to know he made the bloody... Th- Sorry. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, are we on to historical accuracy? Yes. Right. Um, the film is exceptionally accurate. Uh, obviously, due to the wealth of first-hand accounts, uh, the memories are so alive, obviously, in the moment, because it's only passed by a few years. Uh as previously mentioned, the focus on real locations and real people over actors adds to this accuracy um like we talked about already uh everything that happens to Ali Lapointe really did happen, and it, in real life, he did get blown up in the house with a couple of others, including a little boy who had been a messenger for them, so that all happens uh obviously, what the film doesn't show is I think twenty six other people were killed by the explosion um right. like in the nearby area I don't see but. It at all. But that happens. Um, There are a few composite characters who are created, uh, but they're all based off of real people. Um, Or there's fictionalised characters created, but entirely based off a real person. For example, we know that Saudi Yasef was a real man who did all of that. But in the film, he plays Yaffa, who's a created character. Mm. But it's essentially him. Um, This is what's interesting. So Lieutenant Colonel Mattia is a composite of three people. Okay. Um, General Masu, who is the top dog, and forgive me on some of my pronunciations, <laughs> Major uh, Oserias and Marcel uh, Bigard, uh, who was basically essentially the, the main... Influence. Should we just leave it at these composite three characters? Yes. Oh, but this is what's really interesting about them. So, essentially, the main person that he is, this Marcel that he's based off of, he did organize the lockdown of the Casper. He did organize a curfew in which anyone caught after hours was shot and killed and left in the street so that the next morning people would be more afraid. He carried out the majority of the events in the film. He did advocate systematic torture and interrogation and he did see it as a necessary evil in, in, in kind of quotes. Uh, He was responsible for the capturing of Ben Mahidi, the leader. Um, But this is what's interesting. He considered him an equal, and he respected him greatly. Do you remember the scene where they have that conference together? And they're kind of standing together as equals. I think that is a general representation of Mm. how those two did interact. Interestingly, he was a very tough man, and he took three bullets to the chest in a four month period. Is that right? He recovered from the first shooting and then got shot twice more in the chest, recovered again and went back to work after a pretty short amount of time. Which I thought was yeah, was exactly. interesting. It is true though that Ben Mahidi was executed in prison and it was disguised as a suicide, unconvincingly. Mm. This was carried out by one of the other the, by the Major, who was one of the other characters that kind of combines to make him. But Marcel couldn't Marcel couldn't do it when it mm. had been ordered. And he actually organised all the paratroopers to give Ben full military honours as he was led away to be. The Major, Osiris, confirmed that all of the torture techniques and strategies in the movie happened in real life. Right. He obviously wrote a book and he talked about this a lot. He's a very controversial figure. Mm. Um, on top of this, the overall order of events is really correct, particularly the, the bombing in the Casper followed by the three female bombers. That did happen exactly like that, although the bomb in the airport failed to go off. Oh, right. So, in the film, apparently, you can hear it in the background, you hear a third explosion, but it never actually went off. Right. Just uh, the device failed. So, the deaths in the milk bar, all of that, like, that all happened exactly as that went through. When they captured Jaffa in his house, he just literally recreated what happened to him. Right. So, it, it, it's all, like, mm. playing out exactly as it should. Um, there are a few inaccuracies. My impression was that the eight day strike was lasted quite a few days in the film. Uh, Yes,
1: that was my impression. I got a bit lost at that point, actually.
2: So in real life, I think it only lasted about two, two and a half days. Oh, okay. Because the paratroopers were so harsh on them that they did not allow them to not, like, to strike. They ripped, you know like they do at the end to cancel Mm. it, where they they rip all the shutters off everybody's shops, and they, they basically forced them back into school, the kids, they made them go to school, everybody, they had to go work in their shop. Like, you couldn't right. not do it. And as a result, I don't think the strike makes it to eight days because the entire city has forcibly worked. Right. So I just thought that was interesting because it definitely in the film I got the impression it yeah. almost went to the eight-day point. Yeah, you got the impression they'd done what they intended to do. Um, I also think that the film actually avoids a lot of the wider context of what's happening, um, and it deliberately left out some of the really extreme violence and atrocities that that might be taking place during the conflict and kind of outside of the conflict. I fear maybe that the both sides are presented slightly better than they maybe were. Right. For example, like you say, when, when Ali the plant dies, we, we see that as the two people who are fighting. We don't see that 26 other people who are yeah. just civilian casualties are killed because of this
1: explosion. And actually, in the torture scenes, there's no moral slant on it whatsoever. In fact, they don't react with as much pain as you think. There is no moral outrage or nothing reflected on the face of the tortures. It's done very flatly.
2: And I do think that's partly to try and it's consciously not emotive filmmaking. Yeah. As we've talked about, that the Hollywood obviously really likes to try and do. Yeah. So when you watch that Braveheart scene, obviously, you're meant to feel every little bit of the agony of the injustice. Mm. It's presented way more like you are watching a yeah. documentary. Um so th- there are a few little things, and I obviously have some questions, because obviously it's such an important topic, that I'm not going to assume that it's all mm. true, but the historical accuracy seems kind of overwhelming. Yeah. And the fact that it's used
1: as a teaching aid for governments and resistances all across the world. It's incredible. It, I mean, when he, John, Jean Mathieu is doing the, the presentation of what they're going to do, what the tactics are, how the cells are organised, you know, you feel like you reaching for your notebook, you think, this is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you can see that it could be used in that way.
2: And their whole plan from the beginning... Well, what's really interesting <clears throat> is, what surprised me, how successful their plan is. Yes. The fact that the military organisation yeah. is completely successful yeah. in physically removing the resistance from the city. Yeah. Um, That's kind of staggering. because yes, it's staggering. Not knowing the story, I never assumed that was going to happen. Because
1: of their how far they're prepared to go in torturing and therefore breaking all of these little cells.
2: Yeah. Uh, I thought it was... That surprised me. Um... I do think it's really interesting that um, the film, which we know to be slightly fictionalized, but is it and is not a documentary, is essentially viewed as a field guide and a training video for counterterrorism, counterinsurgency, and the use of torture for information in warfare. Mm. Um, in addition to obviously the the Pentagon screening it multiple times, like I mentioned, uh, it's supposedly influenced the Black Panthers, the IRA, the PLo, uh, as well as obviously mm. the U.S. government. Um, and what's really crazy is one of the, Colonel Mathieu's kind of composite parts, the, the major, he went to South America in the 70s and he became a personal advisor and an instructor to the dictators of South America in right. how to torture the leftist right. regimes and prevent them from rising in power. So he operated in Bolivia, Argentina, Brazil. Oh, and then in 2003, I think 2004, he went on television a lot talking about how torture is great. And that we sh- the Americans should be torturing more people in Iraq, and he caused such a stir that he had his rank removed. He was banned from ever wearing his uniform again, and he was essentially um, ostracised from the. It's very chilling French in the movie when the,
1: when the paratroopers come into Algiers for the first time, and all the crowds are waving, and he's strolling in front, very loose-limbed kind of walk, with his dark specs on, with a sort of slight smile on his face, utterly confident. He could be IRA. There's no difference between the terrorist and the forces of law. It's a very chilling bit of the movie, I thought. Um, Also, I mean, I agree with what you mean about the wider context. So historians can be totally accurate and still present a very biased picture because it's all in the selection. And as a historian, you have to select, don't you? So you choose to leave leave some things out and leave some things in. So, for example, there is nothing about the wider context of decolonisation. There is nothing about the pied-noir and their fate, you know, the Europeanised Christians uh, who are of Algerian descent, or of the Jewish population. There's a whole load of stuff. But that, in a way, is why the film works so well. It is very accurate. It leaves a whole load of stuff out that if it tried to include and tell the whole story, it would be a mess, probably. It tells part of the story really well. How do you feel about the fact that this
2: film has been has had this kind of global influence like how do you think about the fact that somebody has gone and made this kind of piece of kind of fictional realism and it's become almost an instructive manual to some extent probably with actual historical research into how to you know wage resistances and fight wars
1: well at one Bloke, Mathieu makes the point. I think it's after the same interview you're talking about. No, it's at the beginning when he comes in. He says, well, I know how to do this, but I'm not the solution. Or I'm not the real question. I know I can do it. The question is all about the political will. So, like a gun, this film seems to me is like a tool. It's not this that causes would cause torture. It is our our moral compass that says things like colonisation and imperialism are in, inherently unjust and torture is inherently unjust. So if a regime, if one of our countries um, allows torture, it's us that are responsible by allowing it. It's not this film that has shown us how to do it. Yes. Is that answering the
2: question? It does. I just think it's, I just think it's really fascinating that that a film can have such an influence yeah. upon... the world and can inspire people to go out and Mm. do whatever they need to do Mm. like i just thought it was fascinating that it had such a wide-reaching impact impact. uh i think it's just worth pointing out that the film was not screened in france for five years yes i read that and the famous french film magazine rallied against the film to condemn it and they undermined it via the use of critics philosophers and scholars to try and trash this Mm. film this was the same time that it's winning Global Film
1: Awards and being nominated for the Oscars. Of course, we all every country went through the same process, didn't they? All the imperial nations, Britain, the same as everybody else, of having to completely readjust their mindset. You know, it's not a it's not a little thing. And I thought it was just slightly in the
2: kind of wider context. I thought it was really interesting how history plays out. That de Gaulle is able to come back into power. Um, there's a coup d'état, and he comes back into power. And then it's when he's back in power that. He ultimately agrees to give Algeria their independence and pardons all of the mm. resistance fighters, um, because if they'd been going in the direction they were going, that wouldn't have happened. Mm. Like events would have gone completely differently. But the, what's interesting is, is there's another coup that that fails against de Gaulle. I think in '61, because they actually don't like what he's doing in Algeria. And they don't like the thought that they're going to pull out. So a bunch more kind of retired and current military...
1: This will be Frederick Forsyth. This will be one of the world's greatest ever movies. Day of the Jackal, won't it? Yeah, it it leads into it. Yeah. Yeah. We we can't do that movie, can we? Can that qualify as historical? No, I don't know. I really want to. Yeah. Um, We talk about it all the time. Yeah. But, yeah,
2: it leads up to that yeah. because they try and carry out another coup There's because they don't like discussion. what's happening.
1: Yeah, and I say, you know, say, so again, this the thing about decolonization and imperialism, you know, the whole world has lived for thousands of years under this precept that it's, it's conquer and thrive. And in the 20th century, we've rediscovered or we've changed our mindset. That's not a little thing, you know. That takes time, effort and pain. There's going to be resistance to it. Sorry, that's uh, me i probably taking it too far. No, no, no. I think it's great. I think it's worth
2: noting that obviously the referendum on self-determination of Algeria I think happens in 1962. Obviously it causes bigger issues which aren't addressed in the movie whereby
1: all of the French people living in Algeria have to move. Mm, They're forced out of the country. Absolutely. This is the story about the Pierre Noir as well for something like about a million of them and essentially 900,000 flee.
2: Yeah, and this is the other thing. I get the impression that... um, they actually didn't... De Gaulle and some of the French in general actually didn't want... Yes, to have them. Didn't want them in France. No. So I don't know where they go. Like I don't know what happens to them and the complexities of this situation where they achieve this independence, but everyone who was French supporting then is really in danger of mm. not having a home or anywhere safe to go to and France isn't really willing to take a lot of them in. Mm. Uh, I think that's partly where they
1: wanted to keep Al- Algeria. Yeah. They don't want to absorb them. Yeah, no, I country. don't know enough about that history to comment really, but yeah, it's a hideous story for the people involved. We need to score it ten and ten. Okay, so you're saying it's a perfect movie. You're saying this is a Nadia Comaneci. I don't think I'm going to go. I wouldn't go that far. Well, for, okay. Let's, let's historical establish... accuracy. We've established that. Okay, it's do, very, very close. But you've done—you've listed some inaccuracies. Do we believe that any
2: movie can be a ten on the historical accuracy? First of all, possibly not. That's no reason to score at ten. Okay, so if we're saying no movie can, then it's a nine. Yes, I'm, I'd be a happy to okay. A nine. Okay, so nine for historical accuracy, cool. fine. Are
1: we then going to say a nine on film quality of the movie? I would go eight. I'm willing to negotiate, obviously. Although I'm not prepared to resort to torture. No, no. Um. So you think nine? I uh, go think, on then. I'll I will go nine. Nine. It is a very the thing. Of course, is it's very difficult for me to give a score that high for something in which that there isn't is very Master Commander. There isn't Master Commander. There is not Master. There's commander. no Russell Crowe in this movie. Yeah, it's not Death Boot. Nobody sings German songs. Long Way to Tipperary is completely absent. There's you know.
2: But, David, okay, if we give this a 9, I might then
1: give Das Boot a 10 for you. So, (laughs) let's... let's Oh, it's a negotiation. (laughs) I see, right? Okay, so what do you want to score? You want to score it 10 as the quality of the movie? I'll settle for a 9 because 10 is obviously so high. But this film is genuinely incredible. Okay. So, this is
2: where we say, like, why do we recommend watching this film? Yeah.
1: It's It's honestly astounding.
2: It's a really, really interesting historical movie in terms of how it places, like we said, the fact that it comes so close to the event, the fact that it's almost a primary source on what's happened. It's a really interesting depiction of war because so so often we are just watching it from one side always. Even if we know the other side, we're still always kind of viewing it from one Mm. in whatever format that is. This is really interesting to see it almost completely equal in representing both sides. Um... Yes, we've described a lot of terrible things that happen, but the movie doesn't. It's I wouldn't say it's horrific to watch. No, it
1: isn't. Um, I mean, Jane watched it.
2: Yeah, it's it's not horrific to watch at all. So don't be worried about that. Um, but obviously, it's just really kind of troubling.
1: Yeah, history. and that in itself is a is a, a major incredible achievement of the movie, isn't it? That you come away with a full appreciation of uh, the terror and the horror that people went through without having to withdraw or not being able to watch it. Okay, so we're going for a nine and a nine. Nine and a nine. nine, and nine. Fantastic. Were you surprised by how much you liked it? Yes, because I, like, if I can just be shallow for the moment, this is all the other thing I was going to say, because uh, I'm a shallow man. It was in black and white, and I find it almost impossible to like a black and white movie, with the exception of just being black and white. And he never worried about that, because it was too good. It kind of drew you in. and it, you know, it was fantastic. And it's got subtitles. Never worried me for a moment. Fantastic yeah. movie. Okay, thank you, everyone. We'll just do the roundup from Lady Jane, I think it is. We have a new jingle we're very excited about. Here goes Wolf and David's Roundup. They're, They're the rootness, tootness cowboys in the Wild Wild West. Wolf and David's Roundup. Ah, oh, Lady Jane, the response to this movie was really fun. There were essentially two lines of thought. I love it, hand me the Kleenex, or, oh, give me the sick bag. You know, I could try to make it sound a bit more complex and nuanced, you know, obviously, but, nah, that's essentially it. And to be honest, the vast majority of you who commented went for the first option. Too many of you to mention, actually. Many happy memories of soaked, youthful hankies from Mrs Hermione, just for one example. A certain amount of sharp intake of breath stuff at Wolf's scurrilous description of the thing from Jen... Only a few were as brave as Lisa in expressing the outrage of it all, though Devon seems to have been eyeing his wrists and Rhea was horrified at the theft of over two hours of her life. There was a bit of the rather inaccurate protest, but mixed with the, this inspired me to find out more, sentiment. So, the long and short is the film gets a 65% Love It rating, which is on the high side, I have to tell you, though also well over half of you had never seen it. But ha, Wolf, the vast majority of those claimed they were fully intending to dig it out and watch it. So, you know, door film review zero, love one. Anyway, thank you very much, everybody. See you in a couple of weeks' time, and it will be all about uh, the line in winter. So, bye from me. And bye from me. Are you not entertained?